You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with David Truss, Episode 9 with Michelle and Laurel on the topic of engaging learners. Walking along the roads, carrying these stones, looking for some place to rest our weary bones, tearing stories and we're singing songs and we create the place we might belong. I'm here on Skype with Laurel Beaton from the Alberta Learning, or sorry, Alberta Distance Learning Center, and she is in Calgary, and also with Michelle Baldwin, who is in the internal suburbs of Denver, Colorado, uh, and she's at Anastasis Academy. And Michelle, I'd love to hear a little bit about what your school looks like on a day-to-day basis. You bet. Um, we. We've taken the international baccalaureate themes, so we break down um, our whole school year into about seven blocks, and six of those follow with the IB themes. So currently we're finishing up um, block five, or excuse me, block six, wow, um, that is sharing the planet. So um, in the morning, um, we start off our school day with a walk, unless like today you have a freakish uh, spring storm and we had about I don't know, maybe six inches of snow, so um, we didn't go on the walk this morning. But It's, it's only uh, April 23rd. That can be expected for how much longer? <laughs> yeah, hopefully this is the last one. Yeah. It's noting it, how today as well, Michelle, so I feel your pain. It's, it's so interesting because it's almost all the snow is already gone. It snowed through noon today, and most of the snow is already gone. Yeah. Wow. It's the most bizarre place I've ever lived, but anyway... <laughs> Um, so we start off with a 15-minute walk or a mile walk in the morning, and then the kids come together as a community. Um, they have morning worship. It is a, this one is a Christian school. And then um, we go back to our classrooms, and morning is our, considered our inquiry time. So when we started this block off, we start, I asked my kids, I said, okay, so sharing the planet, what does that mean? Um, each class and um, level usually has a focus question. So ours was specifically, you know, how do we um, help our planet when we have limited resources? And sorry, I didn't say that Canadian way, resources. Is that better? (laughs) Much better. (laughs) Okay. Um, And so I just, I started asking the kids, so what do you think that means? And they instantly were like, well, we have to respect the planet. And so it was, sometimes um, they have, they're right on target. And other times I have to ask more questions to get them to really think about a little more deeply. My, my grade is um, mostly grades three and four. So I have, at the beginning of the school year, I had eight-year-olds with 10-year-olds. Um, and it's, it's interesting that sometimes they're right on a topic and they just explore the heck out of it. And then this one, I, I kind of had to ask more questions to get them to think about, well, there are limited natural resources. And that means that we look at ecosystems and we look at habitats and um, recycling and um, uh, pollution and conservation. So we, we basically started off um, at the whiteboard. And I just said, give me all these different kinds of topics that you think are relevant to sharing the planet. So... They made a whole list, and then I said, okay, why don't you tell me which of these topics you're the most passionate about? And each child chose a different topic. 
So then um, I helped curate a few resources for them um, on the web. And we have an, like a portal um, that's private to the school so the kids can log into it and get to those resources. And then they also did some of their own research. Um, I use a lot of like the sweet search for me or the finding Dulcinea um, options so that they have some already curated resources. And then um, some of the kids are able to do some searching with, for them I think it's very difficult when they get 100,000 or 1 million res, uh, returns on a, on a Google search. They're not really sure what to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, so we, again, that's one of the things that I'm kind of teaching as we go along is, do you always look at the first return in a search or do you kind of dig a little deeper? So um, their first step then was when once they chose their topic, and that's that's important for them to really have an interest in what they're going to research because if they don't care anything about it, it's really hard to get them excited to dig deeper. So they started, I said, let's just, you have to come up with a few big questions for your topic before you start your research. And then as you're researching, then go in and look specifically at the questions you asked before. Are you finding answers to those? And then also, as you're researching, are you finding more questions that you would like to have answered? And one of my students said, well, what if I already know everything there is to know about fishing? <laughs> and I said, I'm betting you're going to find some things you didn't realize. Right. So um, that's that might take a period, depending on the age of the kids, that might take a week or less or more. And then we kind of go in and we tweak their research a little bit. We, we go into some libraries or we bring in print resources or um, we will, like this time we were really lucky. Um, the timing, and I didn't plan this at all. It, just, it was a happy accident. Um, Philippe Cousteau, uh, the grandson of Jacques Cousteau, um, and his um, company, Earth Echo International, happened to have a webinar about defending your drain and talked about how um, what we send down the drain affects the planet, the ocean, the fish, wildlife, groundwater, et cetera. So we were able to take place in that, or, or attend that webinar. And so the kids were able to connect everything that they were learning to that particular source. And then they learned more so they could add that to their research. So after they've um, pulled together all the research and they're, they feel like they, I, I tell them, I say, I want you to be the expert in the classroom. So you don't have to be the expert everywhere, but you need to be the expert on your subject in the classroom. And I said, and that even includes me. You're going you're gonna to learn things that I won't know. And that always, it's funny, at the beginning of a school year, that always really stumps the kids that teachers don't know everything, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so then the, the next step is to say, okay, well, how are you going to share what you've learned? And at the beginning of the school year, it's always like, well, I'm going to do a poster. Or I want to do a movie. And it's more about just kind of regurgitating out what they've learned. And we're working really hard with them to say, okay, but how can you make a difference? So for this example, you know, there are things that you can change today as kids. And how can you share that with adults? You know, you don't have to wait till you're an adult to make a difference in the world. What do you want to do? So for one example, one of my students, um, her, the topic that she chose was reduce, reuse, recycle. And our school, because we're in a new building this year, we are leasing space, and that particular building doesn't already have a recycling plan. So in addition to the research that she's doing and the sharing of information, she's going to start the school and that building on their own recycling plan. So mm -hmm. she has to figure out who, you know, who, 
will she contact and how will she get recycling bins in every room and and how can we ensure that the recycling isn't just going to get dumped into the trash like that happens in, in many buildings um so they're they're meaningful projects um they want it to be able to do something that they know someone else besides just their teachers going to see or just their parents um and it's that's sometimes difficult especially for some of the kids who are newer because it's completely foreign to them. Everything they've ever done has just been turned into a teacher, and that was the end of that project. Michelle, working with leadership students in middle school, I found the same challenge. You're talking about grade fours here, so that's uh, pretty neat. Yeah, and that's we have some kids who've been here. This is their second full year, and even they still resort back to old habits where they feel like there's – today I had one student just come. She goes, just tell me the answer. Because she was getting frustrated that I wouldn't tell her because I kept asking questions. And, and you know, we, we'll stop every once in a while. We'll pull back together as a group and discuss, if I just give you the answer, what's the learning involved? And then and they understand it. They know that. And they're like, but sometimes it's just easier. And we laugh. And we're like, well, of course it's easier, but that's because it's what, you know, I'm giving to you. And so they know the benefits of it. Um, I think the biggest struggle that the majority of our kids in our school have is that they have a lot of freedom, and that comes with a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And there aren't always set-in-stone deadlines, so we have to work really hard on learning how to manage our time at a very young age, even. Um, and there, so we, we'll just, I, I plan to do, like, a lot of mini pull-out lessons, so I'll talk about digital citizenship, or, hey, if you're going to be creating a PSA today, you need to make sure that you're understanding how to use your app. Let's give you some time to play with this app so it's not learn it as you go all the time. But So there are just these little mini things that have to happen along the way. Um, sometimes like I'll ask for a project plan, and that might look different for every single kid, but we know that it has to include, okay, what's what's my purpose of my project? And if I don't, if I don't know what that purpose is, my project isn't going to have any direction. Um, so I try to give give them less structure to start off with and let them feel that struggle for a little bit. Um, I don't want them to get too frustrated because then they tend to shut down. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if they're not struggling at all, then I feel like they're not, it's like they can't own it because it's still mine. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, so, that's so, I love that. Yeah, you know, Michelle, we, we, um, uh, at the Inquiry Hub, we still we are still finding that same thing about that uh, you know that responsibility and freedom of time. Right. It is a challenge, and it's 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 hard because um, for students that are struggling, the sort of easy answer is to give them sort of scripted things to do. Right. Right. To make sure, but that in itself doesn't really teach them then to manage the time on their own. Exactly. Right? And so, so that's that's a bit of a, a struggle that that we find is, um, you know, we when a student knows how to use their time well, it's really easy to allow them to soar. When mm-hmm. a student struggles with that, it's really challenging in an environment where you're trying to be open and very inquiry based and allowing students to have that freedom to take questions further and further as opposed to following a, you know. Um, a pace of a teacher who wants something done at a specific date so that they can do the next unit at the you know right. all together. Absolutely. So so when when you have that freedom as part of your embedded 
um, way you do things. Uh, anytime you add structure in order to, to help a student along, it, it doesn't necessarily always work for those students. Right. Yeah. A lot of times it just ena enables those bad habits. Yeah. yeah. And so, we have natural consequences because we don't, as a school, we don't do homework. We don't assign homework. There are learning activities that kids can do at home, but as a rule, we don't really give kids activities every night to do. So one of the natural consequences that I have for my kids is um, if you're seeing that you're wasting your time and you're not meeting, our deadlines are usually pretty loose. But if I'm seeing that they're not using their time appropriately in the classroom, I kind of push those deadlines up. And I'm like, oh, wait, what happened here? And so I said, well, I guess you're going to have to take it home and get it done. And then I get these looks like, but we don't do homework. And I said, I know this isn't homework. This is you didn't use your time, so you're going to have to find some other time to finish it. And that it's interesting, too, because sometimes parents are like, oh, well, why aren't you holding them accountable? I said, I am holding them accountable. They have to make sure that they're getting this, these things done and using their time wisely. And when they don't do that, the consequence is they have to find their own time to complete things. And it's interesting how even some of the kids who have the, the um, poorest work habits tend to step things up a bit when they realize, oh, wait, you mean I'm, I'm going to have to take this home and finish it? And, and on the flip side of that, I have some kids who are super go-getters, and they'll ask me, you know what, I feel like I might fall behind. Is it okay if I take this home and work on it? And I'm yeah. like, oh, you can always take it home. I, that's, that's always an option. Yeah. Or maybe they feel like they could be more productive at home just because it's something mm -hmm. that it just in that one task, they might feel more motivated in that environment, you know, so you can right. give them that option. That's so great. One of my favorite quotes, and I, I don't remember the person who I first heard it from, but he said, the absolute best consequence for not doing the work is doing the work. Exactly. Right? And uh, yeah. I, just, I just love that. Now, Laurel, uh, you also are in a position that's similar to mine in that um, <clears throat> with my role at Coquitlam Open Learning, you at uh, Alberta Distance Learning Center, you deal with a lot of students where you don't get to see them face-to-face -face and sort of motivation and staying on task can be a challenge. Can you share some of your experiences with that? Um, absolutely. I mean, we are, our organization is totally at a distance, so we aren't in a blended model like many um, people are in British Columbia. And so lots of times kids come to us for reasons like they're looking to be a bit more invisible or to have a bit more hands-off. And sometimes the freedom and the choice to decide like your own pace for your learning and when you're going to do it is great for them. And sometimes it's absolutely not what they're ready for, you know. And so one of our biggest challenges is helping students understand who they are as learners when we don't see them face to face. So getting into those conversations in different ways about, you know, are you the type of person who can be self-motivated and can direct yourself through this process of being online and your learning and knowing that you have a teacher here um, to support you, but that you need to learn how to ask questions to in a way that a student in a classroom, in a traditional classroom, sometimes never really has to learn how to do. We had a parent explain it so perfectly. She said, you know, in a traditional classroom, lots of times students come to a teacher's desk and say, I don't get it. That's not really a question. And so in an online or in a distance environment, like her goal for her son was that he would learn how to ask real questions, specific questions, pointed questions, understand what points in his learning where he needed support, right? And um, so that is definitely something that we see students sort of struggle with at a distance. And, and I think it's probably the same in British Columbia in that some students, it's the perfect environment for learning because they can be self-directed and they can make choices about how they learn and where they learn and when they learn. 
And for some students, it's, it's a very difficult choice, and um, they really struggle, struggle to complete. And so something we've been trying to do anyway at Alberta Distance Learning this year and has been my um, work and my research has been around providing more opportunities for engagement. So you're not just in this course that's online in an LMS and there's no engagement in that process. So trying to provide more authentic learning opportunities for students, especially at the high school level because that's where the majority of our students are. And so we've been doing things like we offer these career courses, like they're called CTS, um, and one of them is forestry. And it's a course that's pretty easy for kids to get through, but just taking it online, you don't really have any authentic connection to the industry that is the forestry industry in Alberta. And so we found a community college that had forestry simulators sitting at their school, but they had no students using them. They were just sitting there. They're worth like, I don't know, $600,000 a piece, these forestry simulators. And we convinced them that they should lend them to our students who are taking our forestry courses. And that if we could get forestry industry to pay to ship these forestry simulators to these schools that are at a distance all over Alberta, these kids could take their CTS career courses in forestry and then have an opportunity to use a forestry simulator that was meant for a college-bound student to see if this is actually a career that they'd be interested in. And we got the forestry industry to sort of pay for that experience for those kids so that it would be authentic and it'd be real and they could make some decisions in their life about, do I, was this something that interests me or does it not at all? And so in Alberta, we sort of have a lot of opportunities for, for work and a lot of students that don't think about any of those careers at all because they think they should all, all, every student should be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. But we have so many other fields that they could be accessing. So we are really trying hard to connect students to uh, real life experiences and real experts in the field. We've um, connected with virtual researchers on call. They're an organization out of Ontario, and they are not-for-profit, but they connect um, actual researchers at university level and in industry, so university professor in engineering, with classrooms who are doing like inquiry-based questions and specific have specific things that they would like to ask an expert in the field to help further their study. And so they, they vet these professionals, they do interviews with them, and make sure there's someone that would be you know, safe and a good connection for a class, engaging. And then they have their own video conferencing equipment where they just have these researchers on call. And if you have your class, it's ready at 1 o'clock in the afternoon to connect with a chemist at UBC. They're there, and you can ask them your chemistry questions with their class. So That's we've great. been doing some research on how, you know, do these experiences that are more authentic, that are connecting the community to the school, do these help students to feel more engaged and increase achievement and keep kids, you know, moving through their courses? And so we're, we're very surface level with that right now, but I think there's so much opportunity and we're just at the, at the introductory level of exploring how we can engage our community better in the, in the work of educating our youth. And that's been, a big, that's been a big push for Alberta distance learning this year. And we feel like because we're at a distance and we have satellite offices all across the province of Alberta, we kind of have really big opportunity too to connect with different people that you might not have if you were working in a small rural school in Alberta. You're only sort of connected to your small community. And I know with you know social media and things we can be more connected, but that isn't always the case when trying to engage industry and post-secondary and NGOs. People sometimes feel very isolated. So we kind of feel like we have the potential to offer some of that. So we're, we've been doing some researching and some exploring there. And, and I'm correct in saying that Alberta Distance Learning Center is distance learning for all of Alberta. Is that correct? It is, yeah. We have a mandate to partner with every school in Alberta to provide distance learning for courses that maybe their school can't provide. So 
So there's like a senior level math course, like the, like an AP or an advanced placement math course, and there's only one student in a rural Alberta school that would be taking that course. Well, most schools can't fund to have a teacher provide that course to that one student, so they would partner with Alberta Distance Learning and have the students take it through us maybe. That would be one example. Nice. Is that all secondary or is there some um, like middle school or even elementary? Yeah. There is. The majority, I mean, we've, we had 60,000 students use our material this year, and I would say, you know, 80% of them were at the, sec the senior high level. Mm -hmm. But we do have um, elementary and junior high courses, and the people that access those mostly would be homeschooling. Okay. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this here, but I'm going to say how, how neat it is, because if you think of it, um, Laurel, you're talking about, 60,000 people across an entire province uh, working with you um, with Alberta Distance Learning. And Michelle, you're talking about 60 students in a small private school. Um, and yet what you're both talking about is ways to actually make the learning more meaningful and engaging for students where they are at that time. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you, David. All right. When we met, I told you my story. And I sat right when you told yours. Made our lives up out of some inarticulate perfect glory. And laid our rocks on the opposite shore.